Good morning. I'm Matt Hoffman in for Annika Colbert. It's Tuesday, March 22nd. A Ukrainian family finds safety in San Diego. More on that next, but first, let's get to the headlines. San Diego County will have a new interim sheriff after today. The Board of Supervisors is meeting to pick who will temporarily fill the vacancy left by former Sheriff Bill Gore. Two former deputies and the current assistant sheriff are all contending for the job. Whoever gets it will run the department until a new sheriff is chosen by voters in the upcoming primary election. The city of San Diego is approving hundreds of requests for COVID-19 vaccine exemptions. The city made vaccinations a condition of employment last year, and 90% of staff have since gotten it done. Monday, the city announced that it is in the process of granting 790 religious and medical exemptions. Those with exemptions will have to be regularly tested for COVID-19. Just over two dozen requests were denied. There are some city employees who are facing termination for not complying with the vaccination requirement. High temperatures are expected today through Thursday. That's a quick turnaround from rain that we had over the weekend. Forecasters say temperatures should be 10 to 15 degrees above seasonal norms, and that's for the coastal and many inland locations. The combination of enhanced offshore winds and the very warm temperatures could lead to elevated fire conditions. From KPBS, you're listening to San Diego News Now. Stay with me for more of the local news that you need. KPBS On Demand is supported by the Museum of Contemporary Art San Diego, offering visitors to the La Jolla campus special exhibitions, collection galleries, coastal vistas, seaside dining, and more. MCASD.org. As far away as the war in Ukraine might be, there are refugees who have found their way safely here in San Diego. KPBS education reporter M.G. Perez has the story of a Ukrainian teacher who fled the war with her three children. Olga Kovalchuk speaks five languages and is a teacher and translator back in her hometown of Cherkasy, Ukraine. Now she's a kindergarten teacher to her six-year-old son, Ruslan, using internet lessons and Wi-Fi in this Carmel Valley kitchen. Now we um, don't go to any school here. Uh, I would like to, my children to be permitted to school as quickly as possible and to adapt. Olga fled Ukraine with three of her children, her father, brother, and their families. The other family members made it to Los Angeles, while Olga and her kids made it here to San Diego County, traveling 6,400 miles. Anything to get away from the war and the prison of their basement. Some basements now in Ukraine are equipped with Wi-Fi and Internet, and maybe there are uh, some possibilities to to learn uh, sitting in the basement. Her family is now living with Carolyn and Zach O'Neill in their four-bedroom house in Carmel Valley. The O'Neills are empty nesters with two grown children and extra space. They were happy to share with refugees on the run to safety. It's just nice having the little kids and Max in the house Mm -hmm. and just trying to find them. Not There's never going to be a normal routine for them again, I don't believe, but just to bring some normalcy. But it's not just us. Everybody wants to help. Um, we just need to find how do we do it, you know, in, in a loving way. 
Olga's oldest son, Max, is 15 years old. He speaks English and is doing his best to adapt. His nine-year-old sister, Sophia, is missing. The day they fled, she was with her father and did not make it to the Ukrainian border in time. I miss uh, my friends, I miss Ukraine, but uh, now I'm not in danger and uh, uh, my family is in, safe, in safety. The family will stay with the O'Neills temporarily. Olga's next goal is her children's education. Then she needs to find a job. I can't predict um, that tomorrow day because uh, the situation can change uh, rapidly and radically. Uh, uh, we believe in God and I hope that everything will be okay. We just pray. Two families and faith will help make this home for now. MG Perez, KPBS News. It's been two years since Title 42 was implemented. It's a controversial Trump-era policy that blocks asylum at the border. KPBS border reporter Gustavo Solis says activists in San Diego and Tijuana are calling for it to be revoked. And Title 42! And Title 42! Title 42 was first implemented by the Trump administration in March 2020. It allows officials to use the pandemic as a justification for turning away asylum seekers at the southern border. But most of the pandemic restrictions along the border have now been lifted. Activists are calling for an end to Title 42, which has kept thousands of vulnerable migrants from getting a fair hearing for their asylum cases. Lindsay Toslowski is the executive director of the Immigrant Defenders Law Center. Today, the U.S. government continues to unlawfully expel individuals and families with absolutely no due process. More recently, border officials have exempted Ukrainian war refugees from Title 42, Kozlowski says migrants from Central America and the Caribbean deserve that same exemption. But I think we know that there has been a systematic blocking of black and brown asylum seekers at the border, and that is the root of Title 42. Lillian Serrano is the co-chair of the Southern Border Communities Coalition. She says Title 42 perpetuates stereotypes that certain immigrants are a public health threat. More than a year of the now Biden-Harris administration, we continue to see this racist notion that black and brown immigrants, asylum seekers, are bringing disease across the border. Serrano is among the many who say the continuation of Title 42 is an example of the Biden administration failing to fulfill a campaign promise to make our immigration system more humane. All of us remember that's part of his campaign promise of the Biden and Harris administration was to restore asylum to bring back humanity and dignity into the immigration system. We don't see that. Gustavo Solis, KPBS News. Union grocery workers have begun voting on whether to authorize a strike against Ralph's, Fonz, and Albertsons. The companies are offering a pay increase of 60 cents an hour each year over the next three years. Workers say the proposal is an insult considering what they have faced over the last two years. Todd Walters is the president of the United Food and Commercial Workers Union, Local 135. These employers, Ralph's, Vons, Albertsons, uh, have made millions of dollars off the pandemic, and it's time to, to share with the workers. Walters says with minimum wage increases, some workers with 10 to 20 years of experience are making as little as $2 an hour more compared to new employees. The strike authorization vote continues here in San Diego through tomorrow. Voting continues in other Southern California cities through this weekend. 
Coming up, what does the new normal mean when it comes to our jobs? More on how the pandemic has impacted the workplace just after the break. Hi, I'm Bill Hohen. And I'm Ted Hohen. Over the past 50 years, our family has brought many world-class dealerships to Carlsbad, including Mercedes-Benz, Porsche, Audi, Honda, Acura, Jaguar, and Land Rover. That's right. This year, we're celebrating 50 years in Carlsbad. So on behalf of the entire Hohen family, we want to thank San Diego. Throughout the years, we've taken tremendous pride in meeting and even exceeding our customers' automotive needs. We value the relationships with our clients and look forward to serving you for years to come. We invite you to visit one of the Hohen Carlsbad dealerships or hohenmotors.com. A new survey says the pace of deployment during the pandemic has strained military families. KPBS military reporter Steve Walsh says childcare and unemployment are among top issues. The last couple of years have been challenging for nearly everyone, but military families have had their own lingering difficulties, which often go unnoticed by the rest of the community. Kathy Ross-Duquet is CEO of Blue Star Families. They advocate for military families. She says guard and reserves have been stretched thin. They've gone to help with cleanup for COVID or helping to build hospitals. They've gone to the southern border. We even have guard teaching um, substitute school in New Mexico because COVID has closed down too many schools. You got wildfires. The Guard is more deployed than any time since World War II, and many of the, the many of American citizens just don't know that. Each year, the group surveys military families. Fallout from deployments were the top two concerns among Guard and Reserves. Among active duty, the pandemic made it particularly difficult for spouses to find work, especially if they changed bases. We need to solve the child care issue. You go to the bottom of the uh, of the waiting list every time you move. You go, if you have got a nine-month waiting list and then you're in town for six more months and then you move again and you're at the bottom of that nine-month waiting list, that's no good. We, we need better ways to help people around that problem. One of the ideas to get around that is to hold spaces at child care centers for military families. And sailors, soldiers, and Marines are still required to move despite challenges in the economy. The financial trends have gotten much worse, and a lot of that is because of COVID. COVID has been a real financial um, uh, harm to military families. That and the fact that inflation and housing is going up. So when you're forced to move, as you are with the military, into higher and higher placed areas where there may not be housing stock because we stopped building houses during the pandemic, we have military families living in RVs and pop-up trailers. Even so, the Blue Star survey suggests job satisfaction remains high among troops and their families. Steve Walsh, KPBS News. For many people, the pandemic has changed where or how they work. 
KPBS's Maya Trabolsi talked with people at a local staffing agency to see how lessons learned from the pandemic are being applied at their office and in the workforce at large. It's all in the name, manpower. And their administrative office in Bankers Hill is seeing more people power than it has in the last two pandemic years. Until recently, a majority of the staff has worked on a hybrid or remote work model. Executive officer Phil Blair says the company is starting to figure out how that can be applied post-pandemic. Pandemic is a terrible thing to waste. There's some good things that have come out of that we can work remote two or three days a week that we can have flexible schedules. It's not eight to five. Author of Job One and a bi-weekly column for the San Diego Union-Tribune, Blair writes about workforce trends and corporate culture. He says since we're in a candidate's market, it would behoove a company to strike a reasonable balance for its employees. I think any company that says every employee has to be in here eight to five, Monday to Friday is going to have a very difficult time keeping their employees and attracting new ones because we have, we've seen the other side of the fence. For manpower staffing, Blair says he doesn't want to offer a cookie-cutter approach, instead choosing to be flexible to individual needs as well as the needs of the company. For their culture, that does include some face-to-face time. Now in our case, what we're thinking is Wednesdays. Then on Wednesdays, we ask everyone to be in the office. So accounting can talk to marketing, marketing can talk to payroll, and, and um, food is a great attraction. Just past a set of swinging restaurant-style doors, the office kitchen is furnished with the comforts of home, like armchairs, free snacks, and a cozy fireplace. Even though people work remote, Fridays they come in for the food. Office manager Colette Morell chose colorful details to make it feel homey for those who do come in. We have desserts all the time. I love to make desserts. Do you get to work from home too? No, I don't. Do you wish that you did? Sometimes. Morell also manages the building, which means her job requires her to be on site. I was here every day during COVID. Um, So I have never worked from home. She says being one of the very few employees in the office meant fewer interruptions and more productivity. AR specialist Joanna Walls says fewer interruptions is why she prefers working away from the office. If you have to choose between working at home or working in office permanently, what would you choose? This is her second day at Manpower. Her last job required her to work from home full time. At Manpower, she'll be driving in from Oceanside two days per week, which she thinks strikes a good balance, especially considering drive time and the price of gas. She says preparing for work and commuting both ways can take four hours per day, on top of her regular eight hours of work. If the company is supporting that, and then it also saves cost as well for them and for you, um, I think it's a win-win. I want you in every day. Well, boss, why? Well... That's how I've done it for 20 or 30 years. When employees are asked to come in, Phil Blair says there needs to be a reason for it, and not just because that's the way things were done pre-pandemic. And then use that time together productively. Everybody goes into their cubicle, closes the door, comes out at 5 or 5.30. That's not a reason. And finding a balance between nurturing the corporate culture and maintaining work-life balance could be delicate, but something Blair says is worth exploring. Are they doing a good job? Are they doing the work? Is there good communications? Okay, take a breath and try it, or you're going to lose that employee. 
because they will find an opportunity of a company that will do it. In a job market that boasts more jobs than workers, the choice between prioritizing career over family has become a less necessary one. And in this market, eyes wide open, there is lots of opportunities for good people to go somewhere else. Maya Trabulsi, KPBS News. Coming up, San Diego Rep is hosting its second annual Black Voices Reading Series. It's serving up four new plays. More on that just after the break. San Diego Rep is gearing up for its second annual Black Voices Reading Series. The series seeks out work that serves up a diverse range of Black stories and playwrights. KPBS arts reporter Beth Accomando spoke with two of this year's playwrights about their work. Darren Kennedy says storytelling is in his genes. My dad is hilarious because he (laughs) he would say (laughs) about my mom's side of the family, he'd say, Linda, can't nobody in your family just tell a story. A story that would normally take two minutes for other people takes 20 years for your family. That's how I grew up understanding what storytelling was. I, storytelling was never just reporting just the facts, ma'am. Having something in your genes is also at the core of his play, Reparations, which is part of the 2022 San Diego Rep Black Voices Play Reading Series. And it imagines a time in which we have developed a technology that allows people to access their blood memories. Uh, the main character, Rory, takes up the state of Oklahoma on an offer that if you can use this new technology to prove that your ancestors were the victims of state-sponsored violence, that the government of Oklahoma will provide reparations. And so Rory decides to apply. The piece really explores Midwestern racial identity, how legacy can actually be experienced in a visceral way, perhaps even written into our genes. Rory's grandmother shares her feelings in this scene. Let me learn you something. Getting caught up in who all did what way back when is a losing battle. Cause for black folks like us, yesterday's always just a little bit darker than today. Kennedy says he wanted to look at more than just generational trauma. Was it look like to, to actually have not just trauma, but also have dreams passed down. His play Reparations employs elements of Afrofuturism. Afrofuturism, amongst the many things that it does, says racialized reality and cultural specificity has a place in our imagination and it has a place in how we view the future and that we need to think about cultural specificity, particularly, obviously, Blackness. Our notion of temporality should be made complex. It's not linear. We loop back, we circle in, and we zoom forward, and we swing back, and we can touch in, in sort of spiritual and soul ways those things that maybe our ancestors touched and dreamed, and we might be carrying that with us. And what are we doing that might be carrying forward that, that makes that temporal space sometimes messy? 
For playwright Marty Goebel, food is the DNA that ties one generation to the next, so the family dining room table provides the starting point for her play. Food day is a play in five courses. You have breakfast, lunch, appetizers, dinner, and a snack with the family as they talk about a big decision that is going to affect them all, that is moving from the Midwest to San Francisco so that the mother can work with um, maximum security inmates and teach them how to cook. If I was in jail, I wouldn't be trying to eat fast food and soup and burnt bacon. Mm, for real. Ribs or something, lasagna. I would want fresh fruit, lots of fresh fruit. Ice cream. I still crave it. Hey, you don't know. You know what your mind would tell you it was missing. Cravings are elusive. In that room, were people answering to their cravings after thinking about it for a long time. Lots of thinking about this one day, food day. I really wanted the talking about food to lead to bigger universal truths on tasting and danger and understanding your palate and on trying new things and all of that. Trying new things is what the Rep's Black Voices Play Reading Series is all about. For Goebel, it provides an opportunity to fine-tune her latest play. I'm kind of fascinated to watch what happens with my words and to know that there's a, a hundred different ways to say the same thing. Kennedy agrees. Fantastic actors in this reading are always giving you information, even when they are not explicitly thinking that they are. Lines that they stumble over or lines where they perk up, those are always things that you're taking in. Kennedy perks up at the opportunity offered by the rep to bring marginalized voices and new work to the fore. Because that's how we keep theater alive. And that's how we make sure that live performance is speaking to our moment, speaking to audiences now, and putting them in a place where they can speak across time and space, which is important. For audiences, the readings will be like listening to a radio show because it's just actors performing the lines without any props or production design. But that's fine with Goebel. The best story is often just an actor speaking and engaging with a group of people. But since her play was designed to have food being cooked on stage, she suggests that folks warm up some soup and make a grilled cheese sandwich before sitting down and listening to Food Day. Beth Accomando, KPBS News. That's it for the podcast today. As always, you can find more San Diego news online at kpbs.org. Our website and on 89.5 FM is where you can find live coverage of this week's Supreme Court nomination hearings. I'm Matt Hoffman. Thanks so much for being here with us. Have a great Tuesday and we'll see you tomorrow. KPBS On Demand is supported by UC San Diego, offering the online Master of Data Science program, shaping the next generation of data-driven problem solvers. Learn more about the online Master of Data Science program from UC San Diego at omds.ucsd.edu.